Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. As Democrats be empowering the Republicans. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Possible plateau in New York. Possible plateau in New York on COVID-19. This is U.S. deaths. Topping 10,000 and Boris Johnson moved to intensive care with COVID-19 worsening. Stocks surging to a three-week high on easing virus toll. So how, how will America reopen? We're going to put that question precisely to Congressman Denver Riggleman, a Republican from Virginia. I hope everyone's been following all of the, the Bloomberg terminal charts as it relates to a potential peak, because there are some possible signs of a plateau in New York. So goes New York, it seems. So goes the nation. More signs emerge that the crisis may be easing in some areas, sending stocks soaring. Italy, France, Germany, and Spain reported lower numbers of new coronavirus cases. Finally, finally. Finally, and in New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo says that the deaths were showing indications of hitting a plateau, that curve, that curve, that we want to flatten that curve. Uh, UK deaths also slowed for a second day, even though this horrific, horrific news development on the COVID-19 saga because of Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who was hospitalized yesterday, guys, and then for 10 days and after he spent 10 days in isolation. And then we just get the reports from earlier this morning that he's in the intensive care. So it, it's still a very serious, it, it's hard to report on this story and it, it's hard to talk about it because it's so incredibly serious and you're looking for hope, but we can't let our hope have us walk back on all the progress we made with the social distancing and whatnot. Joining us on the line, a good friend of the program, Congressman Denver Riggleman, just in the DMV's backyard, a Republican from Virginia. Congressman, give us an update. How are you and your constituents handling COVID-19? You know, the best we can. I was just listening to you, Kevin, and I was just on a uh, call today with our, uh, not our constituents, my colleagues uh, from an infectious disease expert in Pennsylvania. And, uh, I got to tell you, um, there are some good signs out there, but the issue that we're having, and there's still hot spots like Louisiana, um, there's still areas that are not doing very well. Florida. So I think that, um, yeah, Florida is not doing well at all. And uh, what he's talking about right now is that, you know, he's thinking, and I just want to say this, Kevin, and, you know, we're getting different data from other people, but he's thinking middle of summer 
uh, before we can even start an incremental getting back, you know, to normal at this point. So wait, okay, wait. Now I got it. Congressman, you and I Go were talking. I mean, I, I hear that, and people in their cars hearing that, or people listening on on all of our different platforms hearing that. That is nails on a chalkboard. And 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 I know people want to get back to work. So when you say middle of summer, are you saying that for the whole country? Uh, that's why I think we need to have a regional mitigation plan, Kevin. So me and you had discussed this before, yes. and I think it's, yeah, I think at some point, at some point, we got to see those areas that are starting to do a little bit better and see if we can mitigate that to let businesses get back get back online. Because not only did I have a call. And this is what I was going to compare and contrast. I had a call about that. Then I had a call with bankers for having trouble with the portal and liquidity and access. And they're saying, hey, Denver, you know, we need this now. This money's here that we can't access. We're not able to do what we need to do. Let's get going here. And then I had another call with our own infectious disease expert here in Virginia, and they're talking about end of May. So I guess what I'm telling everybody is this. You're going to get a lot of differing information out there based on the areas of the country that are fighting this, like from Pennsylvania or Louisiana or Florida. The issue we have is we've got to flatten this curve. So we've got to somehow find a mitigating middle ground where we're not always, you know, we got to err on the side of safety, but we are having problem with businesses. So my question, getting all the way back full circle, there is some hope, but I've certainly for businesses, I'm starting to feel a little bit of fear and despair as I'm talking to them every day. And you and I, and I, I told you this last week, Congressman, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of fear. I'm hearing a lot of despair. And it, 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 it's, it's really unnerving. When you say, let's, let's unpackage this a little bit. When you say we need a regional mitigation plan, what does that mean? You have the intelligence community background. Uh, you come from the intel world uh, overseas as well as sure. domestically. So what, when you say a regional mitigation plan, what does that mean? For instance, um, I was at a restaurant up here. Let's start from the ground up. I was at a, I love talking about this, though, Kevin. So I was up here at a restaurant that's about – they can serve 650 people at a time. So you can think about the size of that. Outside, inside, it's huge. It's absolutely massive. There's another little restaurant here. It's a tiny little Mexican restaurant that can only hold about 20 people, right, Kevin, about 20 people. Yeah. The 10-person limit when it was actually being instituted for being in a restaurant and things like that beforehand, this little restaurant was doing okay – but the 650-person restaurant had to break down. And my first call to the governor when we were on our first call was, can we make this a square footage mitigation where they can actually have one area that has 10 people, one area 10 people, one area 10 people outside so they don't go out of business immediately? Now, that specific company called me. They've laid off 80% of their employees, the big company. The small company I talked to yesterday, they're doing okay on curbside. At some point, we got to have us say, okay, this one size fits all for every single thing might not be working for businesses across the country. So who would run the regional mitigation plan? Is that the military? I don't know. I don't think it's the military. I think that's a, that, that might be a little bit uh, disturbing to some. However, I will say this. I was a mission planner in the military, and I think you need to have specific agency, whether it's FEMA, uh, whether it's somebody like that that's running this mitigation plan in that area saying, hey, hold on a minute. Here's what we got. This county doesn't have any you know, absolutely no cases of coronavirus. There's none in this in this whole regional area. Let's start freedom of movement. Let's let people do what they need to do to get their businesses started. And maybe there's some mitigation we can do with, you know, thermometers at the front like South Korea did. I was looking at all these certain things that businesses were doing. What if we could give them guidelines? Say so you need to do all this, but people can come in. Make sure you keep social distancing. 
We'll do square footage mitigation. Let's get business started. I think that's something that people are going to have to look at in the next month or so. So when Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer says that he wants to have the military appointed, someone in the military appointed to oversee all of this, is that is that a partisan issue or is that something that you could get on board with, Congressman? Where are you on that? No, that's not a partisan issue. I just think that's the, you know, if people are comfortable with that. I think, um, you know, seeing people, military people in the streets in the United States would be a shock. Obviously, I, was I don't think it is. Can I, can, I, can I jump in here? When everyone was saying, oh, they're sending in the National Guard, I said, they're not sending in the National Guard against us. They're sending in the National Guard to help us. This is why we have Absolutely. the National Guard. I, and maybe I, I just Absolutely. never understood the fear of it. I mean, I, I, they're on our side. <laughs> they're serving us. We should, I, be saying, say we, we should be saying thank you. We should be saying well, thank you. Thank you. With me wearing the uniform, I don't have that same kind of sensitivity, I guess, because I know that how I am as a human being, right, is that when I was an Air Force captain, I would love to be helping doing the mission planning. So I don't think that's a partisan issue at all. I just think it's, you know, the sensitivities of certain people with the military in those areas. Yes, I don't have some of those sensitivities. I think it'd be fantastic to have military mission planners helping with the mitigation. I was very good at that. And I, heck, as a congressman, I'd love to step in and do that. All right. So coming up, we're going to talk more about this. Congressman, can you hang out for an, another 10 minutes? Sure. All right, cool. Congressman Den- Denver Riggleman, Republican from Virginia. And we're going to check in with Susan Lund. She's a partner at McKinsey about the future of workforce development. You don't want to miss that. McKinsey just put out a new study on workforce development. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Did you hear about this? Did you hear about this? Are you listening? Former Vice President Joe Biden called President Donald Trump today, this afternoon, to see how they can collaborate on combating the coronavirus. No word yet on a readout. We'll bring it to you as we get it. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Speaking of President Trump, in this hour, the daily coronavirus task force meeting scheduled to begin at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can listen to that in its entirety right here. Still with us on the line, Congressman Denver Riggleman, a Republican from Virginia. We were talking about the need for how to open pockets of the economy and a timetable for that. I just want to ask you one more question on this before pivoting elsewhere. In terms of a timetable, do you think it's realistic that by early May we could have some businesses somewhere in the country opening? I think that was the objective. And um, I think that that would be fantastic in areas that we know are you know, coronavirus-free. But my goal and I'm trying to be moderate here, but my goal is Independence Day. I'm hoping by July 4th we can at least start maybe opening up some of these areas so we can have full business participation in the economy. Uh, just breaks my heart. All right, but moving on in terms of SBA loans, you you were Congressman Ringelman, people don't know this, was the first congressman in the House of Representatives to have a, uh, a, a tele-town hall post-COVID-19. He was like streaming and talking to everybody and educating his constituents on how to get access to loans. So now tell the DMV, if you are a small business owner, if you qualify for a loan, how do you go get that, Congressman? Well, the first thing you do, I I would hope you've already went on the SBA website. 
uh, and went and uh, applied for your EIDL, your Economic Injury Disaster Loan. That's the first thing you should have done. That's up to $10,000. It's very simple. You put it in. You're supposed to get it 72 hours after you're approved. My thing is I'm getting calls right now, people who don't even know if they're approved yet. So that's been a bit of an issue in what I've been working on today. The other thing is this, is the PPP, right, the Paycheck Protection Plan. I would hope you're already talking to your bank about the uh, streamlined application form that the bank with the rules that they provided um, on that. I hope that you're already trying to get a loan, which is two and a half times your monthly payroll, right, for any type of thing that you can imagine as far as it's legitimate in business, whether it's mortgage, whether it's utilities, anything with your business. I hope you're getting your PPP loan. I also hope you're looking at your other uh, avenues that you could do right now, one of those being um, the payroll tax credit. I hope people are looking at that. Um, there's just, and I'm hoping you're looking at forbearance on those loans. So even if it's conventional loans, I hope everybody has called their bank and act about, asked about 90-day forbearance on business loans. You should be doing that right now. So there's a lot of things you could be doing. Law protects you in all of this. And uh, we're trying to streamline, really, the uh, PPP portion of this, which is the bank portion, uh, which has been a little bit uh, troubling and a little bit difficult. But we're working through that today. So I hope everybody is uh, following those steps right now. All right. So I know that we're in the, the middle of this. So I just have two more questions for you. Congressman Denver Riggleman, so generous with his time with us this afternoon. Uh, in As we deal with the economic elements of this, one of the, the conversations that we've been having daily uh, on this program has been the frustration with Xi Jinping. And I know that you come from the Intel world. You're a member of the House Financial Services Committee as well. What, sh- how, how should the world respond to the coronavirus getting out of Wuhan? I think with a, a, a bit of anger, you know, and I'm, and I'm understanding I'm angry. a little bit. You should be, fur- you should be furious. And the issue that we have, you know, we sent a letter in, um, I did before, um, many did, uh, talking about China's culpability in this. And I think there has to come a time where we look at what China is responsible for economically, uh, the lives that have been taken. And I'm just really um, – listen, you know, my military background, I, I certainly have some expertise about China. I think we're going to have to be incredibly tough on China. I think we need to incentivize manufacturing things here in the United States that China has been doing. And I think there needs to be some sort of punishment, and I'm not afraid to say it. It's ridiculous that they held back data. It's unbelievable that we have to we have to deal with this when we couldn't get the truth out of China. We know their numbers aren't correct. We know it was absolutely horrible over there. And I think at some point um, we're going to have to look at this in a way that's very serious, not just letters, but legislation that's directed at China um, for their responsibility in these actions. Uh, you know, well, keep us posted as that as that comes up. And and then just a final question. One of the uh, things your your family owns, you've separated yourself from from it. But Silverback Distillery, which is your family's whiskey operation, they've been doing like many distilleries nationwide. Uh, they've been you've been doing you've converted your whiskey making into a hand sanitizer operation. Tell me just a quickly about that. Kevin, i got to tell you, my, my wife and daughters, our staff, we have about 20. By the way, we've been able to keep all our full-time employees. Um, it's been an incredible challenge, but we've been able to do it. But we're providing hand sanitizer at 80% ABV. I mean, it's the real deal. Um, uh, hand sanitizer to uh, hospitals, um, testing labs, um, emergency medical services, law enforcement, and we're giving it away for free. And I get a little bit emotional about it because my wife, it was her idea. She's an incredible human being. But our whole staff 
has come together to do this. And, and I tell you, the way that the community's come, come together, Kevin, has been incredible. It's the American spirit. It's, it's just uh, it should warm people's hearts. And so many people are out there helping. And I want to really just give my, you know, full thanks to everybody that's doing these type of gestures and this type of charity to those who need it and, and helping those on the front lines right now. And really, our, our, our people out there, the medical professionals, deserve combat pay. And I'm really for that, too. It's just unbelievable the hazards that they're putting themselves and their families through. But, yeah, our distillery is doing that. We're getting wine from places like, um, oh, gosh, I think I uh, just had one winery just deliver 17 totes. Even Trump wineries offered to, to give <laughs> us wine to distill. Right. So it's been pretty incredible experience for us. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. All right, Congressman Denver Riggleman, I love the note of optimism. I love the optimism and the hope uh, because people, you know, th- that microcosm of the story, people are noticing that uh, in the DMV all over the country, there are signs of hope and optimism on- coming from Main Street, coming from Main Street, coming from Main Street. Congressman Denver Riggleman, a Republican from Virginia, thank you very much uh, for joining us. We're going to switch gears now just to reset. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And just coming up in the next half hour, you can listen to President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence's daily coronavirus task force briefing right here on this uh, on this uh, ne- on this station. And so many people, myself included, our team included at Bloomberg Washington Bureau in New York, obviously all around the world, Europe, uh, but also everyone in this town having to work from home, having to having to really uh, change the way that they work. And McKinsey has a new report out that identifies the people and places that are most vulnerable to the first wave effects of the virus. And they're wide sweeping. And and this is one of the things that I and we talked about it a little bit last week about how, yes, restaurants were pummeled by this. But there are so many other sectors that have equally been as pummeled by this and 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 hit by this economically. So I'm so incredibly grateful, truthfully grateful to have such an all star join us for the first time on the program. Bloomberg Radio Sound on Susan Lund. She is a partner at McKinsey and Company and a leader at the McKinsey Global Institute in Washington, D.C. Susan, thank you so much for your time. Tell us about your report. Thank you for having me. So we've looked at which Americans are going to be vulnerable during this lockdown phase of fighting COVID-19. And we're not trying to project the unemployment rate, but we looked at jobs where people are working in close proximity to customers or coworkers. We looked at non-essential jobs. We also considered the impact on things like the airlines and and hotels. 
when we see such a dramatic drop in travel. And what we found is that anywhere from 44 million to 57 million U.S. jobs are at risk. And this means people who they might be kept on the payroll, like you just heard from the congressman at his distillery. But these are people who might be laid off. They might be laid off with pay, without pay. They might have reduced hours uh, or they might be laid off in the long term. I was Go ahead. At the high end, up to a third of the U.S. workforce is being affected by this downturn. Well, I'm so glad you, you pointed that stat out because I was going to I, – I, that was the stat I was going to say is that up to one-third of U.S. jobs might be vulnerable in this, according to McKinsey's new report. But this is the part that it's really hard, I think, for many of us, and I'm going to count myself included, when I hear – some of celebrities say, oh, we're all in this together. Because look at this, folks. More than 80% of the one-third of U.S. jobs that are vulnerable, more than 80% of those vulnerable jobs are held by low-income workers, which means that, once again, the uh, once again, it's, it's, it's low-income earners who are being negatively impacted more. Is that, is that unfortunately the, tr- the truth, Susan? It is. So when you look at the jobs that are most vulnerable, it tends to be in food service, restaurant work, retail work, all the small retail shops that are now closed. It's gyms, personal trainers, yoga, you name it. It's all of the places we go for entertainment. And sadly, those tend to be jobs that pay below the median um, earnings for U.S. jobs. And so it's the people who already may be living paycheck to paycheck who don't necessarily have a nest egg, and who can't work remotely during the shutdown that are most exposed um, to losing their job. So as you look forward, and we were talking about how do, how do we get out of this, and the optimism was on Wall Street today, the optimism, the hope coming out of the numbers in Europe that they might be nearing the peak and flattening the curve, that New York City might be nearing the peak and beginning to flatten the curve if folks continue to remain socially distant. Is there any aspect of this that has you hopeful or any glimmers, or what can we glean on this? Because eventually we are going to reopen. We are going to reopen, and it's a great question as to how to go about that. I think what's clear when you look at Europe and you look at China is that the reopening may be gradual, so it will depend in part on consumer behavior, like how long is it going to be before we want to go to see a big concert or a big sporting event or even go to a restaurant that's somewhat crowded. So that's going to Susan, I hate to interrupt you, but let me say something. I cannot wait to see the Philadelphia Eagles play <laughs> this fall. I want to go to a DC United game. I want to go to a Philadelphia Eagles game. I want to go to a movie theater. I want to, <laughs> I want to do it all. I want to go back to my gym. I miss it. So listen, you got one person who's ready to go. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt all you. All right. Well, you will be, you'll be joined possibly by me. But look, I think that employers – can do things, right? So we may see hand sanitizer stations all over the place. Walking into a movie theater, you may sanitize your hands. We may see more temperature checking um, with um, the thermal guns that you see in China. So there can there are things that employers can do and businesses can do to help rebuild that public trust. After 9-11, a lot of Americans were afraid to fly, and it took years for air to the level it was. But one of the things we did was we created TSA and we went through airport screening. And that not only 
helped screen for terrorists, but it made everyone flying feel better and feel safer. And so we may start to see shifts like that. I don't know what they're going to be, but that's what I'm going to be watching uh, in the weeks ahead. Susan Lund's on the phone, and I'll tweet out the the McKinsey report. If you haven't read it, you have to read it. I was I was looking at it last night. I mean, it's it's very very nuanced in terms of the economic impacts of what this is going to be doing. Susan Lund is a partner at McKinsey, and even this is. But just before I jump to the the final point that I wanted to raise from the report, but what you just said about airports in particular. I was thinking about this on my one of my many walks that I've taken in the past couple of days, which is you don't you wouldn't go to an airport and allow a bad actor to smuggle a wep uh, something harmful on the airplane. You wouldn't allow that to happen. So why were we allowing people who could be bad actors that are carrying you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, we should be doing those temperature checks. I mean, it, it just when you go through through TSA. Uh, so I definitely think that that for I think the way that we travel will ultimately change uh, throughout all of this. And and there's been some reporting from the technology sectors about different companies that have popped up that are going to be doing just that. Uh, but a- another aspect of the McKinsey report that came out is tourism versus agricultural and knowledge economy states. And I was wondering if you would be able to uh, explain that in the two minutes that we have left, Susan Lund, partner at McKinsey, about how large tourism industries could be more negatively impacted uh, than agricultural and knowledge economy states. And explain to us what knowledge economy states means. Uh, Well, that would be the high-tech jobs, law, sales, biomedical research. So those jobs can by and large, be done remotely, or their frontline healthcare provisions. But it's interesting, when you look across the U.S., the counties and the cities and the states that are hardest hit are those that rely on tourism. So Nevada has, by far and away, larger risk at vulnerable jobs, and that's because so much of its economy hinges on Las Vegas and tourism and entertainment, as opposed to some of the Midwestern states that have a lot of agriculture or Northeastern states um, that have a lot of what we call, you know, the high paid, the banking, law, accounting, the kind of knowledge economy jobs, journalists. Exactly. Well, yeah. And just uh, just to, to just put a, a, a period on this conversation, the McKinsey report, and I'm going to read this part from it because I highlighted it. The workers bearing the brunt of the initial shock are the very people least equipped to weather it. Up to 86% of the initial impact affects jobs that were paying less than 40000 per year. Almost all of the affected jobs paid less than the national living wage of 68000 for a family of four. Even before the pandemic, 40% of Americans reported that they could not cover an unexpected $400 expense without borrowing or selling assets. I mean, when you hear that... It breaks your heart because this notion that this pandemic is affecting everyone equally from an economic standpoint is not true. The data doesn't reflect it. Susan Lund, a partner at McKinsey, thank you so much for joining us on your first time on Bloomberg Radio Sound. Would you come back on, Susan? Absolutely. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Stay well, my friend. And thank you very much, Susan Lund, partner at McKinsey. Now let's reset and get a check at the headlines from my good friend, Nancy Lyons. Nance? Thanks so much, Kevin. 
Here are the day's top stories in and around the district and across the globe. More than 8,000 people in the D.C. area, more than 1,000 of them in the district, have been confirmed to have the coronavirus. And this is putting a strain on district resources. We learn more from Bloomberg's Amy Morris. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser says they have to cut $607 million from the budget. Today, I signed a mayor's order that freezes hiring, salary increases, and travel. New coronavirus emergency relief before D.C. Council would freeze rent increases, make it easier to release at-risk prisoners, and require D.C. Board of Elections to mail applications for absentee ballots to every registered voter. D.C. Council's taking up the COVID-19 Supplemental Act tomorrow. Amy Morris, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Virginia Governor Ralph Northam is encouraging all Virginians to follow the latest CDC guidelines to wear a mask. He even showed off his own this afternoon. This uh, particular mask Uh, was designed and made uh, by our Department of Corrections. It is comfortable. Northam says you can make your own handmade mask. Just make sure you clean it daily. Acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley says the captain of the COVID-stricken aircraft carrier who was fired last week had betrayed his service and may have been too naive or too stupid to be the commanding officer of the ship. Officials are confirming Modley made the comments yesterday to the ship's crew in Guam. On Wall Street, investors are encouraged that the toll from the coronavirus may be easing in New York, the main hotspot right now. The Dow ended up almost 18. The Dow ended up almost 8 percent at 1,627 points, 22,680. The Nasdaq was up 540 points to 7913. The S&P added 175. Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli continues. I'm Nancy Lyons. This is Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. You know, when I was a kid growing up in Delco, my dad at the dinner table, he would always have one stat that he heard. I don't even know where he heard it, but he would always tell us one stat at the dinner table. And you know what? This is the stat my dad would say if I was back at the Delco dinner table when I was a kid. Up to one-third of U.S. jobs may be vulnerable as a result of this pandemic shutdown. And more than 80% of those one-third jobs are held by low-income workers. That's according to a new McKinsey report that just came out in the last two days. And, you know, I think we have to remember that because this nonsense argument that I hear that we're all affected by this the same is not true. The low income workers are so much more from an economic standpoint are so much more negatively impacted by this pandemic shutdown. And that has to factor in to how lawmakers react and it, it, policymakers i'm a law it, it has to joining us on the line jack fitzpatrick a good buddy of mine good buddy of the program he's my colleague of bloomberg government he covers all things policymakers and what they're doing to address this and jack let me just put the question to you are they taking into account the vulnerable populations who are being whacked by this pandemic shutdown yeah, you you make a good point. Uh, the, the, when you think about the people who are losing jobs, people who work in retail, restaurant workers, obviously it goes through the supply chain, so it's not just them, but that's a lot of people who don't have a massive amount of savings to fall back on. That's why, you know, when Congress passed this last bill 
a lot of attention went to the $1,200 checks that a lot of people are going to get. But I think probably the most substantial thing that is, is going to affect the most people is the extra money they put on top of unemployment insurance. That extra $600 per person per week probably is going to have the greatest effect, as, as well as the money for small businesses just to try to keep people employed as much as possible. Uh, I think the biggest challenge there, though, uh, and you hear this if you if you ask somebody who has filed for unemployment insurance in a lot of places, so many millions of people filed that uh, there's kind of a, a log jam and they're waiting for weeks to get some aid from the government that they uh, are, are supposed to get. And the question is, can you can you make it three weeks? Can you make it they a can't. month or more? I know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very, depressing. very difficult. Jack Fitzpatrick's that, that on the line. money is there. Jack Fitzpatrick's but, uh, on the line. Wait. I just want to reset because we got the two-minute warning about two minutes ago that President Trump's coronavirus task force briefing uh, is going to uh, is going to start. So if if we do cut off, it's because sure. we are going to go there. But quickly, can we uh, can you give us an update on where economic stimulus phase four is and when you think the timetable on that will be? And if I cut you off, it's because of Trump. Sure. So they're talking essentially about phase three and a half and phase four. Uh, our colleague Billy House just broke uh, that Nancy Pelosi told some colleagues she thinks the next bill is going to be about a trillion dollars. That's more money probably for small businesses. They've talked about unemployment insurance extension, but you probably remember Donald Trump talking about a $2 trillion infrastructure package, and they're kind of toying with ideas that are more long-term economic recovery. The next chance that they have is if lawmakers can come back at about April 20th, then they'd want to do something then. The question is, is it actually safe to bring them back? Or are they going to have to come up with some alternate route to to doing their jobs? They better they better do something. The they better do something. And just to tell my colleagues who are working uh, in the control room, you can watch the feed of the White House Brady Room press briefing on you on the YouTube link of the White House, uh, so we can track. And Dr. Fauci uh, making his way into the Brady Briefing Room, and you can listen to the president's daily coronavirus task force briefing right here on Bloomberg Radio. Jack, if I cut you off uh, again, it's because we're on standby for that. But sure. you mentioned the trillion dollars. I, I was talking to sources last week, and I'm wondering if this is meshing with your reporting as well, that public sector jobs, government jobs as well, firefighters, police officers, they and cities – and states and communities, they missed out on the on the on the last uh, stimulus, and so Speaker Pelosi wants to make sure that they're included in this go around, right? Right. I mean, there's 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 the chatter about uh, hazard pay for a lot of the people who have to go to work. There's also she's talked repeatedly about. Well, let, let's unpackage standards. that. What does hazard pay mean? Because that's some, that might be a new phrase for some of our audience. Well, you, you would expect to get hazard pay if you're a, a first responder or go, someone who goes into dangerous situations. But there are some jobs that are necessary, like uh, grocery workers, that usually wouldn't get that, even though in this scenario they are putting themselves in harm's way. Now, I can't tell you what they're going to put necessarily in the next piece of legislation, but that's the basic idea when you hear people talking about hazard pay for the people who we absolutely need to continue going to work is the the people who are showing up in person are to some extent putting themselves in harm's way and and getting extra pay for that is is the idea behind that your industry is unique it faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart that means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it at the hartford 
we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business. From liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.